0: From my standpoint, I always believe we're better than this. I felt good about this club coming out of spring training. Um, I, I believe in this club and what we're capable of doing, and it's not too late. I wanted to, wanted to hear that. Um, and, yeah, that was pretty much the gist of it from my end. Uh, I've seen a few seasons, you know, and knowing what can happen in the course of the season and what you can do. And I look at our club, and I really – Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, believe this club's good
1: enough to compete in this division. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald, Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined once again by Andre Fernandez.
2: Dre, how are you? I'm good, man. Still in Miami, but, you know, get, getting ready to make the move soon. But uh, already working. Uh, the Knolls are uh, kicking, kicking some ass in recruiting so far. And we'll see. We'll see. So far, so good.
1: Yeah, and we'll be able to talk about former Noel later on when we go into the minor league section of it. But just in general, what have you been up to? Just when do you physically
2: move up there, and what's your what's everything going to be like? Big picture for you moving forward? Uh, in about, I mean, more or less like a week and a half by the time people hear this. Um, and yeah, just basically a lot of, you know, FSU coverage, recruiting, you name it. And until we get to the season and then obviously then, you know, mayhem ensues and, and, you know, the, you know how much everything revolves around the knolls up there. So yeah, looking forward to it. Going to be, going to be bringing you a lot of college football coverage from a team that much like the Marlins is in rebuild mode right now, but you know, they're getting, there's a lot of optimism with, the, the coaching staff there and let's see where it takes them. They got a, they're, they're kind of like where the Marlins were before where the prospects are coming in, but now let's see if they can develop them and let's see if that coaching staff can really coach in the big games, et cetera. And with the Marlins, we're getting to the point where in about a month's time, there's a
1: very good chance. We'll be seeing a lot of those prospects. I mean, yeah. the Marlins just finished up their latest home stand. They went a healthy two and four. They're swept by the Toronto Blue Jays for the is second time. Is that the time. standard
2: now, Jordan? Two and four is healthy?
1: Well, at this point, when, you, when you're covering a team that's 11 games under 500, when you're able to win a third of your games at this point.
2: That's how low the bar is right we'll, now. I got we'll
1: you. see where things are. Yeah, they will 0-2 against the Blue Jays. They split a four-game series with the Nationals. They get a couple good wins in there, but also a couple games that remind you – just where their team is, just the phrase I've been saying is the consistently inconsistencies of this team, where you see a couple games like the game on, uh, when you see the game in the middle of the week where they were able to score 11 runs, and then a day later, it's back to, can they scratch a run across? Where it's just, you're seeing the typical stuff from the starting pitching where, you get a great game. You get great games from the pitching across the board, and then you're praying that three, four runs can come across where you're not blowing, blowing a, a quality start, which has been basically the MO of the season.
2: And uh, and unfortunately, that's been too much lenience on maybe a couple of guys here and there. Like you know, they they win the two at Wrigley basically because Adam Duvall goes crazy for a couple games, which has been and, the trend all season. <laughs> right. And, and then a couple other games at home because Starling Marte plays out of his mind for a few games. So it's like, unless that happens, and that's not always going to happen. You know, you can't rely so much on this team offensively for a number of reasons. And then, and then you talk about the pitching. Yeah, it's great. And they've got three arms that I know we're going to talk about that are dependable, that have been reliable throughout the season. But... At some point, you know, Trevor Rogers is not meant to throw 190 innings this year. You know, Sandy will, but, you know, occasionally Sandy may have a dud here and there because he's human. And when it comes to Pablo, you hope he can hold up and throw another just like Sandy throw that amount. But we'll see so far so good. But again, he's had a few hiccups as well, because it just happens during the season. So you can't, you can't put so much on that. And they've had to, unfortunately, because of injuries. And that's the state they're in right now. And I think it's time to look at the future and it's time to, you know, look long-term and that's the beauty of baseball is at least you have that trade deadline there, which gives your, your club, this club an opportunity to continue to build, to continue to add, to, to get, you know, young talent, that will pay off in the long run because that's the ultimate goal is to really be in a, in a, in a situation where, you know, you're not just trying to scratch and claw and compete with, no, you're trying to really win in a couple of years from now.
1: Definitely. And as I said, we're 77 games to the season. Halfway Mark comes on Friday at this point in the season, when we look through just some of the numbers with this team, They've had the, some of the outbursts. They've had, I believe I wrote this on Saturday, they've had eight blowout wins, or 11 blowout wins, wins defined by winning by at least five runs. And then yeah. you look at the flip side of it, 27 of their 77 games, they've scored two runs or fewer.
2: And that's what yeah. skewed the run differential, yeah. right?
1: Exactly, yeah. They've also had uh, 22 one-run games. They're 6-16 six and 16 in those. They've right. had 54 games decided by three runs or fewer. They're 18 and 34 in those games. Right. A team that's going to be a playoff caliber team, a team that's going to be the team that can prove it can be a contender, is going to be the one that's going to be able to find the way in those close games. Right. Which this team has not yeah. been able to show in the slightest on a consistent basis
2: this year. Be- because they're not there yet. That's the thing. They're not there yet. But but you, you the thing is, teams that do get there... It's a gradual you know it's a step by step thing first you're you're at the point where you just can't compete now you get a little closer and a little closer and then usually you have that one year or so where you're right there you have this type of a season where you're 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 battling and you're in close games but you're losing a lot of them you only in baseball or in other sports and then the jump comes That's probably that might be where they're at where they're at you know it's a lot of it's a it's a mix of a lot of young talent short-term veteran uh short-term contract veterans right now but the young guys look at all the prospects that we've been talking about for the last few years that have already made their debut they've already started to make strides but they're still growing they're still developing this is that season to me and i think net by next season or and by and definitely by the year after if this trend continues that's when you're going to see it but that that's the step right now, but they're just, this team, the way it's built right now, they're just not there yet. And that's why I think, you know, I know you want to win and all of that. And that's fine for Mermattingly to say, but you got to look big picture too. And where they're at now in the standings, it's just, it, it, you know, it's hard to see, you know, it's not going to make that much of a difference, even if they were to rattle off, like he said, 10 wins in a row.
1: Yeah. And that's, look, Inter- that's that interesting dynamic of where they're at right now between obviously the manager saying and the players saying we know we're better than our record we know that we can play better but a the record has the record obviously does not show where they're at it shows how far behind they are with the actual standings are eleven under five hundred they're nine games out of the first place as we hit the halfway point of the season mm. they have this 13 game stretch coming up before the all-star break with nine games against the NL East, which surprisingly enough, they're 14 and 12 against the rest of the division, which in and of itself is something to think about. But it's to the point where if they show that, if they do enough in that run where they try to think in the back of their mind of, Oh, we're getting, we're creeping closer, we're creeping closer and they end up not doing what we think is going to be happening a month from now with the trade deadline, it's sort of that, that catch 22 they're putting themselves in when really the long-term answer is you kind of just need to make the moves that you're going to be making at this point. Anyway, when the trade deadline comes next month.
2: Right. Uh, and that, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, look, honestly, 33 and 44, right? Yep. Win 10 in a row right now. Where does that put you? Right. One on one hundred okay, what have you really accomplished? You're still going to probably be at that point, you're still going to be six, seven out maybe if you're lucky, and you've got multiple teams ahead of you, so you know how hard it is to climb at that point. And if you look at the schedule, okay, yes, they are playing the Phillies, who they tend to play well against every the last few years almost every time. But Atlanta, inexplicably to me, Atlanta still just i can't believe they're struggling the way they Miami's,
1: are. Miami's five and two against them this year. I,
2: I know, and you know Washington has kind of had my had the Marlins number a little bit but looking between those division series they're playing two of the best teams in baseball the Dodgers and the Padres so you're telling me they're going to sweep the Padres and they're going to sweep the Dodgers with this team the way look i mean and even if they did let's go to that alternate universe where this does happen and they're two over Usually teams, you, you go that long winning, and then what happens? There's a natural regression there for a second where you lose a few, and then where are you back? You're back to being under 500, and you're back to staring up at a bunch of teams. So you haven't really – it has to be moves that make sense and it has to be moves that you look at your franchise, your overall, your, your system where you are right now, and say, okay, we need this more than this. We need this. Prioritize this. Prioritize that. And base your moves on that because they have to, and they have to use the pieces that they, they have to use what they can barter with right now. And that's these veterans that are in their lineup right now that, that are not going to be kept for the long term.
1: Yeah. And with that group, obviously, Starling Marte is still the big name out of that group that is going to attract offers from contenders center fielder, solid offense, solid glove. Uh, Jesus Aguilar has a year of arbitration left, but with the Marlins looking and wanting to get Lewin Diaz as their long-term guy, and then Mm -hmm. also still having Garrett Cooper under control for two years, plus I think fingers crossed on their end and with Cooper would prefer as well when the universal DH becomes the main thing. You can Mm -hmm. just plug him into that DH spot. Jimmy Garcia is a free agent after this year. You've got a bunch of other bullpen arms. You have a lot of the young guys who you're going to kind of want to see – If you have a closer type in-house that you have for cheap, and then the other decisions are what they do if they decide to move on from Miguel Rojas, which would be of the group that is the best in group, he'd probably be the one I think would be the last of that group. But obviously Marte, Aguilar, Yimmy are three of the main pieces that they could probably get a sizable return for.
2: But you have to listen. You have to listen because yeah, if our team comes calling and wants a uh, a complimentary player, like, like, you know, someone, someone like Miggy, that maybe is a, a, a contender can, he can make a contender that much better. Yep. One of those kind of glue guys that can come in and do well on a, on a playoff team. You've got to listen to what they're willing to give you for them. You just have to. And, and the same goes for everybody you just mentioned right now. I mean, to me, the bright, to me, the brightest spot of this season is seeing what Jazz is doing, seeing Lewin come up and play well, seeing some of the pitchers, the long-term prospects, saying Jesus Sanchez do what he's doing. That is, that is the, the accomplishment. And, and maybe maybe J.J. Bladé down the, down the line. Maybe if Sixto finally comes up and, and, and starts to pitch a little more toward the end of the season, if Edward Cabrera finally makes his debut and, and pitches well, though that's that's what this season that's the positive steps that have to be done but again like you're saying right now i mean you have to listen to to the you know to other teams and what they're interested in because yeah if someone comes calling for miggy you got to at least consider it depending on what they're willing to offer you
1: and you mentioned edward cabrera i am fully in the camp of that we are going to see him before we see six of sanchez For the simple reason of, A, he's already been pitching in minor league games. He just finished – was on uh, uh, Thursday. He threw six scoreless innings for double A, gave up three hits all singles, struck out nine. His command looked solid. He's up to – he's up into the 80-pitch range in live games. And also, he's not – he's throwing off a mound, not flat ground – Gradually stretching yeah. out like six For the second time he's up to I think 120 feet I'm pretty sure He'll get to the Broward deadline at some point In the next week or two But yeah I mean Edward I think there's a good chance that He probably gets one more start In double A and then you move him up to triple A Give him a couple starts there see where, see where he is as he gets a little bit Higher up and I would think post all star Game either late July early August Depending on where they feel other people are. I feel like you're going to have a chance to see Edward just for the fact of you're still looking at that, those bottom two spots of the rotation after Sandy, Pablo and Trevor, and you're still not seeing consistent Cody Cotech falling off a little bit. His last few starts, Zach Thompson has impressed enough to feel like he's holding down a spot for now. But if you're able to get to the point where you have Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, Uh, edward cabrera and then only have to be worrying about that extra spot once every five days at this point and know that you still have all three of these guys all pre-arbitration that's a pretty good jump for this point
2: yeah and 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 it helps also to me even more on the front of then you're not taxing your three most reliable guys that we talked about earlier like you said that's paramount because you want those guys to be healthy toward the final stretch of the season here, toward the second half of the season here. And you get Edward in, you need to get – he needs to get in, make his debut, and start getting that major league experience. Start getting on the mound, start facing major league hitting. You know, even even if he makes a handful of starts, let's say, whatever it is down the stretch of the season. But it's something. That's a building block for him and his development. And, yeah, you're right. If it, if it pans out and he ends up being another guy that comes up and has some success early like Trevor did, like, you know, Sixto did last year, you're right. It, it helps so much to just alleviate some of that wear and tear that we've been seeing throughout the season uh, from all those arms.
1: And now to move over to <clears throat> the next topic of discussion, we're two weeks from the NLB from the draft. It's yeah. surprising, again, they pushed it back a month this year. It's now – it's going to be, I believe, it's 20 rounds this year. They only did five rounds last year during everything with COVID, and it's cut in half from the usual 40 rounds. So a little bit more in terms of needing precision with hitting on guys, but also just trying to figure out exactly where the Marlins are going to go with this. Obviously, we we know where there are some needs in, in the system, obviously – Catcher, it's a spot they're going to need. They're in to need to look at some corner infielders just because when you look beyond Leywin Diaz, there really isn't much in terms of the top prospects when it comes to first base or third base. Mm. But as we've learned over the years, the draft is really a crapshoot. And it's going to determine a lot on what happens and how confident scouting is with how they've looked at guys this year, especially – now they finally got the chance to go back and start seeing guys in person compared to what they had to go through last year with how they had to get make, get the reports and everything.
2: Yeah, that'll definitely help the process for sure. I mean, you look at this, this is one of those years too, where after the top, you know, two, three picks, maybe it starts to get, uh, you know, kind of guys could go in whatever order, you know, in terms of there's sort of like a ranges for guys, but you don't really know exactly. It just depends on, which team needs what? I mean, you mentioned the Marlins, you know, could use obviously some help with the, not, not only bats, but even at the catcher position, you know, there, there's, there's prospects there. Like there's from, uh, you know, from Kennesaw, Georgia, Harry Ford is a, is a prospect uh, from North Cobb high school. There's a, there's a couple of high school catchers in there, you know, but from reading a little bit about him, you know, baseball America hasn't projected to the giants at 14, but, He's in that sort of like top 15-ish range where he might be there at 16. So do the Marlins pounce and get a guy who looks like he not only plays catcher but can play a few different positions, athletic guy, that kind of fits the mold of what they like? Or do you go after another one that that, that gets that gets talked about a little bit, another Georgia kid. There's a kid named Bubba Chandler, and I love his name already. You know, two-way player that's another thing that you start see, you're starting to see a lot more of those come up through the ranks, come up through high school and college. You know, another guy that could fit the mold of another you know, a middle infielder when he's not pitching, you know, and I doubt they're going to go the pitching route, but you obviously have some talented arms that could slip down into the, into the lower first round as well. But I think bats are there. There's a few, one was Colton Cowser at Sam Houston States, another one that, has been talked about a lot, so they're, they're, it's going to be interesting to see which area they address. They have a ton of outfielders, as we know, but it's about the about the hitting, about the talent potentially to have an offensive weapon down the road.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had the chance uh, Monday morning to talk with Marlins director of amateur scouting, DJ Spillick. He gave us some insights of what the Marlins are planning on doing and how they're approaching these final two weeks now that they're that much closer to having to have their boards finalized and get ready to go into the war room. So here are some highlights from what DJ Spill had said to us of uh, and just where the Marlin's thought process is at right now.
0: Last year was challenging because you never got to the finish line. However, you had a heck of a good start. There was a really good foundation. So when everything got shut down. At the very least, you can lean into a lot of numbers and you can lean into a lot of information that the organization had on players that had played for multiple years. So the mistakes that may have happened last year in draft were probably directly a result of some of the decisions that I made. There were certain players in last year's draft that I just decided, we're not doing that. We don't have enough information because we knew that there was a good group of players that we had a lot of information in. So that's what we did. And you at the time it feels uncomfortable, but now you reflect back on it and you say, you know what, as uncomfortable as that was, I would probably prefer that situation to the situation we're in right now. What situation are we in right now? And why does it, why does it provide such a challenge to organizations? We didn't have information. There wasn't anything to go on. These college players, if you can imagine the a general theme that came up with college players this year was their freshman year doesn't mean much. So that would have been 2019. Their sophomore year starts to mean something. And then their summer means a lot. And then they finish it off with a strong draft year. Well, we had that in 1920 in 2021. We don't have that. You're dealing with a lot of freshmen or uh, excuse me, college juniors, that at the time as freshmen just did what they did, which doesn't tend to mean that much. They get a sh- extremely shortened sophomore year. So then what we're left with is a, they start their career as juniors. And with that came up and down performance. And we were really well prepared for it. We talked about it. I talked to our analytics guys about how we're going to handle that back in January, but it doesn't mean it was any, it wasn't any less, uh, stressful. It wasn't any less difficult. So that was the big challenge this year. And I think that, uh, we handled it fairly well, although it's, it's, it's fairly uncomfortable to going to your first question. I hope that answers question B or question two. Your first question, what's the strength of this year's draft? Um, I can tell you that what the strength of this draft is not. It's not deep, deep pitching like last year. I would have said that last year's draft was deep in pitching. That's not the reason why we took all pitching. But last year you had depth of pitching both at the top of the draft and as the draft went deeper into rounds four, five, and six, and so on and so forth. This year I would say the strength of the draft is clearly the second tier of college hitters. What do I mean by second tier of college hitters? Not the first round. It's the group of hitters that would fall into the Peyton Burdick, to use an example that you would be familiar with. It's that group of hitters and trying to get your hands around, okay, maybe there's 10 of those guys. Uh, we've got holes because of their performance history, uh, had some holes in it. Um, but that seems to be where there's an opportunity. That seems to be where there's some strength. So where do I would say second tier second to fourth round, somewhere in there, there's a really nice group of college hitters that I think you can target in there. So prior to my time with the Marlins, I had the opportunity to address this problem. What is it like to pick 16? What's it like to pick 30 deeper down the board? And then each individual market provides its own opportunity and challenges in any given year. So to your point, are we any closer yeah, I think we're closer. I think we got a nice group of players to pick from. Uh, I think we know the six, seven players that won't be part of our draft this year. They're just too good. I think we're we've come to a consensus on that where we, what we feel. Um, after that, a general theme in this year's draft, which again goes a little bit back to Jordan. The difference between player, and this is just an arbitrary number, the difference between player eight or nine, seven to nine, right in that range, and player maybe 20 to 25 on the board, they're very similar players. So to your point, what other people do and the information that, that we, that we gain over the next two weeks is going to help us make that, make that decision on who it'll be there's going to be a lot of conversation this year that we didn't have in years past about if this, then that, what scenario, what package, what portfolio of players do you want to bring in and how do we make that the most, uh, how do we make it the most realistic? How can we do that? So, you know, as I see it, when you, when you target in, when you're in the middle of the first round and you're looking at a group of say 10 to 12 players, the next step is okay. How do we acquire as many of those players as possible? Because they don't exist further in the draft. So really trying to take that group that we've identified and say, okay, what do we do from here? How do we get it? What kind of relationships and how do we how do we manage relationships with agents and and players to, to make that the most realistic uh, acquisition? I used the month of June like I used last April and May. We had to tighten it up a little bit. I got a call. We're going to do some more calls today all the way through the rest of the week. But at a certain point, you've seen the players enough. Now let's sit and I'll talk about it. What did you see? What are our reports saying? That's an arduous process. It takes a long time. Last year we had two months to do it. I like the fact that we had the month before the draft to do this because I my guys would probably think I'm a little exhausted when we do these things, but I find it really, really valuable. So I've really liked the last two to three weeks. I essentially uh, told our guys to really lighten up going to the yard after the regional tournaments in the early part of June. And after that, we've spent a lot of times about two to three hours a day working through our lists, working through our rankings to try to flush out, uh, which player we're going to take. Uh, again, I, if you're not involved in the draft every day and you weren't involved in it and you're not in the draft room, people don't, it's hard to articulate the, how to, to use uh, Barry's example of Jake Eater. How does Jake Eater get acquired? And how close was it that we took and we might have taken another player? And maybe it was that one last conversation that helped us get Jake Eater in the right spot or ask one last question to to ensure that he was going to be targeted in our fourth and fifth round. That Dax Fulton was going to be acquired in the second round by us. And then how that might impact the selection that we make higher on the board. All of that only comes from discussion and communication and talk. And that happens over this three to four week period. So I like it a lot. I've enjoyed it. My job is to provide tools to Kim in the front office, the tools to build a major league championship roster. That, in, in a nutshell, that's my job. Sometimes that manifests itself in Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Trevor Rogers. But it also tends to manifest itself in other things that become really, really valuable. So as a portfolio manager, I'm trying to acquire, like I said before, I'm trying to acquire as many good players as we can. So once we have that core group, to your point, there's three picks. There's three opportunities to find a way to get as many of those players as possible. And this, the current CBA, the way Major League Baseball has it set up, the best players don't always go off the board in order you know, so I'm trying really hard with these extra picks to, to uh, just leverage those picks and allow us to acquire as many players as possible.
1: All right. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And for the second half of the show, we'll do a quick wrap up of the Marlins minor league system last week. And, just where are some of these top prospects, some of whom will potentially be seeing sooner rather than later, how they've been doing. So we will be right back. All right, we're back, everyone. And with the minor league report, I feel like this is sort of a fitting tie-in with where Dre's at nowadays. Uh, <laughs> there was an FSU alum inside the organization who had a pretty good week at Class A events. Beloit. Uh, right-hand pitcher Antonio Velez, one of the undrafted free agent signings last year. Dre, you want to go up? Go ahead.
2: Yeah, Antonio having a, having a good performance so far. Five perfect innings on Sunday, you know, carried the game, carried the perfect game into the ninth, which was interesting, too. You know, they lost, ended up losing an in extra innings, but, you know, in two starts, 10 scoreless innings, you know, the, the important thing you always look at, seven strikeouts, only one walk, so he's not giving bases away. Um, you know, a kid that, you know, not not one of the guys you hear about a lot, but that's what it's all about. You know, sometimes you, you get your opportunity and you start to, you know, earn that down there, and this is, a, this is a good opportunity for Velez right now. You know, Troy Johnston's another one that keeps getting mentioned, 409 and A ball also right now where they're a home run, two doubles, seven RBI, the kids hitting really well, pretty consistent throughout to this point in the season. So, a couple of guys that again not the most high-end highly ranked prospects, but you find you, that's the key when you when you have a good organization and sometimes you know you have depth, you have guys that will come up and occasionally you have those out of nowhere you know diamonds in the rough you know that that come up and suddenly become players maybe at the or at least solid important role players at the major league level so you never know if guys like down the road of a guy like velez or johnston end up being that yeah and i can make quick
1: correction velez is a left-handed pitcher and a right handed pitcher. picture i apologize that's on me but <laughs> go back to that game on sunday
2: that's even better for him he's a lefty exactly. he's a, he's exactly. more valuable
1: exactly he throws five perfect innings They're carrying a perfect game into the ninth. They're leading six to nothing. They give up seven runs in the top of the ninth, tie it back up in the bottom of the ninth, and they give up three runs in the tenth. Yeah. got to love baseball. You've got to love
2: baseball. I know. Always unpredictable. And and another thing, too, on Velez, which is is good, Um, when he was at FSU in 2020 – 052 ERA was the best on the team and 21 strikeouts, three walks in the, in the abbreviated season. Obviously COVID cut off the season last year, but you know, in that little bit, he kind of showed again that efficiency and the ability to attack the strike zone, you know, so, so good for him. Good. I'm glad he's getting the opportunity.
1: Yeah. He was, if I remember correctly, he was the starting pitcher against UF that gave you up their only loss in that tw- in that 2020 season, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew the name pretty well when they signed him.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: Yeah, and then to recap, some of the other guys that everyone's clamoring about: uh Griffin Conine, son of Mr. Marlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only has 13 home runs this year for boy, only 13. Just a little bit of power that the Marlins have been looking for inside their system. Another guy giving another guy with a lot of power, Peyton Burdick. Hit three home runs this week. I think he's up to either 10 or 11 now on the season. But something to know with Burdick, he had three home runs, but he only had five hits this week. It was five for 25, 11 strikeouts. It's been a lot of boomer or busts recently over the last, I think, two or three weeks with him. Sort of reminding me of another certain right fielder currently up with the big league club at this point. But to the point where, the Marlins. I know they're going to want to see some consistency. He's a guy who has the ability to hit the all air to spread the ball all areas of the field. So trying to find that consistency, I think is going to be a key for him moving forward.
2: Yeah, and and, and that's one of those things where you can't just look at you. You look at the numbers, and yeah, the numbers are on alert basically. But you know, we obviously we didn't see the at bats. You got to dive into that and see how is he approaching those at bats? Is it, does he have a good approach? Is he, you know, is he being patient? Is he being selective? Like what, what all these little factors that go into why, why is he having these, the, these cold spells right now? And that's the thing that development gets in there. And, and obviously if he can, you know, get work on that and, and make those adjustments and that's something to keep an eye on if he's going to if he can continue to do that at that level and continue to progress.
1: Yeah, and then two more guys. So, I mentioned uh, Gerard Encarnacion hit 300 again this week. That's a solid two-week, two- or three-week stretch here.
2: I like that 990 OPS. That's, yeah, that looks good. 990
1: OPS, two doubles, a home run, four ribbies, three runs. Again, he's also splitting time between the outfield and first base. They are dedicated right. to giving him the reps there, which personally I feel like is a good move just because, as we mentioned earlier with draft stuff, Mm-hmm. Not many first basemen in the system, so if they could right. find if he can find a way to just be a steady first baseman there, they don't need me Gold Glove or anything, yeah. but enough to show that he can play there on occasion. Especially since the eventual hope is that there's only be the a universal DH anyway. Mm-hmm. I feel like that can help straighten his path up to the big Perfect. leagues, and yeah. especially when you have that crowded outfield group that you already have there. That's just one Perfect. extra avenue for him.
2: Versatility um, for him or anybody else. It's all it, the way baseball is nowadays, like versatility is going to help any player. So that this is, this is only going to be a good thing if he can continue to, to improve and, and learn the position. And, and and like you said, at least be effective to the point where he can play it consistently on a major league level.
1: Yeah. And then the last guy, uh, Jake Eater. we've talked about him plenty of times, plenty of times, plenty of times. Uh, early on, our main focus with him was seeing if he can go past five innings, get yeah. be able to see a lineup a third time through the order. Well, each of his last three starts, he's gone six innings. His outing this week, four hits, one earned run, nine Ks, no walks. He's had a 1-1-3 one, ERA one, through nine starts, a 71 strikeouts against 17 walks over 47 and two-thirds. And, again, six innings each of the last three. He's had three quality starts the last three times out, which, again, is the big key here. Not saying call him up now. do Not Not saying he needs to be in the big leagues immediately, but it's that quality sign of that progression that we've been hoping to see from him since they right. drafted him and to show that he can go deeper in the games and, while also balancing his pitch count.
2: Right. And it is three starts, which is good, but at the same time it's not – a super long sample size but it is a good sign and it's like you said I mean it's the start of a hopeful trip correct and and he was one of those guys remember we talked about it was he going to is he going to be a starter at the next level is he going to be a reliever he if he can do this he gives himself a chance to have a, a to be a starter in the major leagues and you know you know the again give it give it a little a few more starts if he continues to show that you know not every start is going to be six or seven but if he shows the ability and the, the effectiveness, the efficiency to get past that fifth inning, to get in that third turn, then you know what? I mean, I don't know maybe what their plans will be for him down the road, maybe come you know, August or September. But why not? It's a college age guy. If, he's, if by then he's done all the right things, maybe he gets a, a chance in September to come up and maybe at least get his feet wet in the major leagues. It wouldn't hurt.
1: Definitely, and on that note, that's going to conclude this episode of Fish Bites. We'll be back again next week as we as after the Marlins wrap up a road trip with Philly and Atlanta. A lot of cheesesteaks, a lot of celebrating on Fourth of July. So looking forward to that. We'll I will recap my latest round of Philly cheesecake, Philly cheesesteak escapades out in Philly, and we will hopefully have a little bit more clarity. We'll be able to have a little bit of all-star discussion. Uh, All-star gets announced on, I believe the fourth. So we'll be able to talk about the Marlins representative next week.
2: You, you get your work done out there, but you have some fun out there while you're there too.
1: Oh, you you have to, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, no doubt. And it's fun. I always love the fourth of July trip whenever, you know, different cities, you know, whether it was New York, Philly, Atlanta, it's always fun. And then the MLB goes all out on the celebrations that day you know usually it's a day game so it's a lot of fun enjoy
1: yep definitely and with that we will see you all again next week thanks so much